Um, if you have a Bible with you, please open it to the book of Luke. We've been in Acts. We're taking a break from it today for a Grace and Peace 101 in Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 18 uh, through 26. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 uh, through 26. Hear the word of God. Once when Jesus was praying in private with his and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to us now, that it would bring comfort and conviction simultaneously, that you would turn us from the ways that we stray, from the foolishness that we commit ourselves to, and would show us the way of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing I love about the old uh, Greek fables is that they somehow seem to speak to every cultural moment. There's one um, about this guy who, uh, you know, he had ever, never seen his own face, and, and it turned out he was drop-dead gorgeous. And, uh, and so he did something, I believe, to cross the line with one of the Greek gods, and, and so as, as, you know, his recompense, a pool of water was placed in his path one day. And as he's walking by, he sees something in the pool, and, and he goes over to check it out, and this was a highly reflective pool, and it, what he saw turned out to be his own face. And he said, oh my gosh, look how gorgeous I am. And he couldn't stop looking. And he became obsessed looking at his own face and couldn't turn away. And eventually, as he obsessed on himself, he wasted away and died. Now, I, I can't remember if the gods transfigured him into a flower or if a flower grew there, it doesn't matter. But you know, the Narcissus flower, this is the story of Narcissus, someone who became so obsessed with himself that he actually wasted away because of it. Now, the reason I say that that speaks to our culture is because we are a culture who has picture, figured out how to take better and better pictures of our faces. And to share those pictures with people all across the world. You could share your face with someone in New Zealand right now. And, and you know what else? You know, because you love your face so much, they can also love your face. And you can see that they love your face. How bad is Like, this is Narcissus. Narcissus would be like, chill, guys. <laughs> Try this on for size. 
How long have we had the smartphone? Maybe since 2012, something like that? 2011, 2012. How many deaths have there been from selfies? People taking a selfie and died while taking a selfie. The answer is over 350. These are people who are like, okay, it's gotta, it's my face. It's gotta have the right background. I've gotta really look like I'm falling off a cliff. And then they are really falling off a cliff. This is how obsessed we are with getting a, you know, like, like with taking pictures of our faces. Self-obsession. But that's kind of low-level stuff. You see, in, in our culture, there's, some, there's, a, there's a, a very popular idea that partly is good. It's, it's the idea of becoming the best version of yourself. Now, don't hear me say that's a bad thing. The, the goal isn't bad. We should want to be the best version of ourselves. The, the rub is how we get there. How do we become our best selves? Because the advice that we get from our culture is to obsess on yourself, to obsess on your abs, to obsess on your career, to obsess on being the most perfect person you could possibly make yourself into and then advertise that, right? There are programs offering for the small fee of whatever to make you into the best version of yourself. And, and, and what results very often is obsession with ourselves. Vanity being one. Envy is another. Here's the thing. You get obsessed on yourself. What do you start doing? You start comparing yourself to other people. That is self-obsession. Like measuring yourself against someone else. Because you're like, okay, I've done my best to get as attractive as possible. Oh, there's someone else more attractive. I hate their guts. I've done my best to, to, to cultivate my career to be the best whatever you guys do on the internet for work. And they pay you. It's insane. <laughs> like, you're the best. Uh, someone comes along who's better. Like, you, you, like, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be your best self. You know what being your actual best self would look like? Like, let's pretend you were all into luge. Some of you might be, but I figure this is a safe one. I won't offend anybody talking about luge. And, and you're, like, working super hard for this, you know, to do this as well as you can. And, and, and you're, you're at something. You train, and, 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 and you do your best time ever. You're like, yes! And then some, you know, dude from Sweden, Norm Flieverflavin or something like that, he comes in and he crushes your time. He sets the world record. When we're obsessed with ourselves, we're upset. Oh, I hate his guts for crushing my record. Whereas if we were actually our best selves, we'd say, well, I love luge, and someone just did the greatest world record time in luge. I rejoice that that happened. It's not about me. You see the difference? So when we get self-obsessed, it results in vanity. It results in envy. It also results, and this is going to sound right, but it's actually wrong, it results in self-sufficiency. Now, that's a positive word in our culture, but here's what I'm actually saying. You don't need anybody. You don't need God, don't need others, don't need community. You can solve all your own problems, right? Like, how many movies have we seen where all the hero had to do was look inside themselves? The answer lays within. There's others, you know, where the, like teamwork makes the dream work, but many of the messages that we get is that self-sufficiency is to be desired. But you know what you become when you are, when you fancy yourself to be self-sufficient, self actually self-obsessed? You become merciless. When someone doesn't have their act together, 
You have no mercy for that person. So let's add this up. We want to be the best version of ourselves. But what does self-obsession do? Does it make us the best version of ourselves? No, you become merciless, envious, vain, unempathetic, right? Because all you can see is yourself. You have a hard time appreciating how, other, how God made other people, how God made other cultures, because you are the measure of all things. That's what happens when we're self-obsessed. And so, like Narcissus, instead of becoming our best selves by focusing on the self, we lose ourselves. We destroy ourselves. Now, I'm going to make sure you don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that self-care is wrong. Self-care is a sign of humility. It's saying I'm not a superhuman being. I actually need rest. It's in the Bible. It's called remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, right? Take care of yourself. That, that, that's a good thing. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. I'm also not saying don't love yourself. Self-love is absolutely appropriate. And by the way, you can be 100% self-obsessed with self-hatred. That's my own brand. Because <laughs> some of you were like, oh, good, something I don't have to worry about. I've hated myself my whole life, and all I have to do is keep on. No. Obsession with the self, obsession with the self is just it was perhaps more self-destructive than, than self-obsessive love. Also, knowing yourself is not bad. Actually, the, the theologian John Calvin said that if you do not have knowledge of yourself, you cannot know God. It's actually an appropriate thing. What I'm talking about is self-obsession, that to become my best self, I'm going to focus increasingly and intently on myself, but that's not what happens. Also, Jesus calls us to something very, very different. When I read that scripture, did you notice this little bit in verse 23? He said to them all, so this applies to all disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. What does Jesus call us to do? To forget ourselves and follow him. Why? Why does Jesus want us? He says, hey, I'm about to get crucified. Yeah, you rightly said I'm God's Messiah. Watch what I do. You see, uh, uh, when you are a disciple of a rabbi, you aren't just listening to their teaching. You're also following the pattern of life that they live. And he's showing his disciples, this is the pattern of life, to forget yourself and follow him. Jesus was not self-focused. That was his pattern of life. He was focused on God. He was focused on the well-being of others. Now, how does this help us become our best selves? Well, first of all, we see that Jesus was his true self. Look back with me at verses 18 through 20. It says, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? He's like, hey, guys, what, what's, what's the general public say, saying I am? And they, they say, Elijah, still others, that you're one of the prophets, right? And, and then he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Now, in the Gospels and in the book of Luke in particular, one of the things you're looking for is when someone encounters Jesus, do they understand who he is? Do they say rabbi, prophet? Those are in the zone, but Peter's confession here is the high point to this, 
to this point of the book of Luke. He nails it. He's God's Messiah. And, and then Jesus tells him, you know, don't, don't tell anybody. So put this together. Did Jesus need the crowds to tell him who he was? Did he need his disciples to tell him who he was? Who was Jesus looking to to tell him who he was, who his true self was? He was looking to God. He knew it even though, and when he goes to the cross, they weren't even saying flattering things about who he was, and he still knew who he was. He was not reliant on anyone's opinion but God's about who he was. So get this straight. The one flourishing human being in history, where did he look? Even when the world told him otherwise, Jesus was his true self. You know, when, when I was back in high school, it, this was like a standard question. I don't know if this was a uniform experience, but like you'd meet somebody and, you know, your name and stuff like that. And then you'd ask, like, what kind of person are you? And what we meant by that was like, are you a jock? Are you a square? Are you a punker? Are you a goth? Right? Like we had all these well-defined labels of categories that people had to fit in. And this was super important. This is just in California. No one else did this. No one? Well, you can see how stupid it is, right? <laughs> but this was, like, this was like a standard question, and we were all really, really eager to find which label offered to us stuck, right? Not much has changed since high school. People are obsessed nowadays and always with taking the labels that society offers us and seeing if it sticks. I'm a right-winger. I'm a left-winger. I'm a this, I'm a that, and whatever, you know, class, race, gender, politics, and whatnot, you stick it on yourself, and that's how we are told to form our identity, but there's a huge problem with that. What gives, what gives other human beings the right to define us? It's like titling someone else's work. Think about this. Like if, say, Kanye West was, was a, uh, recording down the street, and I go in. I'm like, good record, Kanye. I think we're going to call this one like Boom Boom Slap or something like that. And Kanye's like, no, it's not called Boom Boom Slap. It's called, you know, Kanye Palooza or whatever. And I'm like, no, nah, man, it's not Kanye Palooza. It's Boom Boom Slap, right? Who's in the right? The one who just walked in or the one who made the, the actual work? You don't get to title someone else's work. Who made us? God did. Who gets to define us? Where do we find who we actually are? God alone. When we listen to people who have some sort of program for how to become your best self, they have no idea who you are. Get, get, get this, they have no idea who they are. Only God knows. Jesus is his true self. And, and if we want to become our best selves, it makes sense to follow the one human being who actually was self-realized, to use that language. Okay? We need to forget ourselves and follow Jesus. The next part of this is kind of counterintuitive. We need to forget ourselves and follow Jesus because it's actually how we become our best selves. This is going to sound weird, but it's, it's really biblical. Look with me at verse 24. After he says, take up your cross daily, he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very 
self. Now, I want you to pay close attention to those words, life and self. There, are, there is a Greek word for biological life. Helpfully, it's bios. <laughs> okay? Easy to remember. This isn't that word. This is the word suke. You could translate it as your everything. Yes, your biological life is in there, but it's your you. Okay? It, it's, it's, when, it's, it's not just like, hey, I'm alive, I have life. It's talking about you flourishing. You could put this, whoever seeks to flourish like in themselves is not going to. And whoever seeks to follow me and forget about themselves is going to flourish. That's the idea here. Those who obsess over themselves are going to what? Lose their very self. You gain the whole world, get forfeit yourself. So you could get all the things that you're told are going to make you you. The right clothes, the right career, the right relationships, the right everything. You could gain all that and still lose yourself. What are we to do? We're to forget ourselves and follow Jesus because it's how we become our best selves. Think about this. This is when we forget ourselves, we are our best selves. When we are so wrapped up in something or someone else that we forget about ourselves is when we're at our, at our most joyful, our most free. I'm going to show you guys a picture, but it needs setup. This, this picture was taken of me several years ago. And... Uh, and I'll just, we're not going to show it yet because it, it packs the wall up, let me tell you. <laughs> this is one of the, the most myself moments in my whole life. Now, it was the moment that our number four child was born, Rivka. And just to, to give you a little context, my wife is basically a rock star at giving birth. And she had already had three babies. And so she decided for a change-up, number four was going to be born in our bedroom. That's right. Number four and five were born in our bedroom. Um, and, uh, and so she didn't have any medication. She didn't have any help. It was just a midwife and me there standing there. I had read the books, but the books say just stand there and try not to be an idiot. So that's what I was doing. I'm standing there trying not to be an idiot not succeeding. And, uh, and, you know, Sharon, it reaches the pushing stage. And so like, we call all the kids in our three, three kids then, and they're standing at the end of the bed. And my son says, that's disgusting. Cause he saw the head start coming out. <laughs> and then and, and we didn't actually know the gender of the baby. Like we didn't find out ahead of time. So, so it was really like boy or girl, we, we had no idea. And, and when, when the baby came out, and like Sharon, you know, crosses the finish line and I caught the baby and I, I handed, I was handing the baby to Sharon, found out it was another little girl. And we were both so pumped. It was, a, it was another little girl. And at that moment, someone snapped a photo of me. And here it is. <laughs> Guys, I don't get any better than that, right? Like, do you know what I was thinking about? I was, I was, amazed at this new baby that I just met my daughter. I was amazed at my wife. I was amazed at my kids. Everything was amazing. And you know what was not on my mind? How I looked in this photo. <laughs> I was not thinking one bit about myself. And when we are drawn out of ourselves, when we are, when we are so delighted in something else, 
and we forget ourselves, we actually become our best selves, our most free, our most joyful, okay? Now, it's hard to hit that level that, that high. I realize that. But as a habit of life, forgetting ourselves and following Jesus, it's not a call to be a bummer. It's, your, it's a call to become your best self because forgetting ourselves and following Jesus is how we become our best selves. And this is the opposite of the messages that we get every day. We're told every day, hey, your sexual impulses must be obeyed. Those are you. Pay attention and, 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 and obey that. Right? You've got to find your personal style. The right clothes will make you, you. They make you look good. And some of you guys look fantastic, let me tell you. But they don't make you, you. You must discover the fine shades of your Enneagram type and what wings and what wheels you have. Nothing wrong with Enneagram, nothing wrong with personal style, nothing wrong with sexual impulses, but don't buy the lie that that is the thing that's finally going to make you your best self. Might help you understand things, might help you look cool. It's not going to make you you. Discipleship, the way of Christ is always counterintuitive. Think about this. This is a main theme of the life of Jesus and the New Testament. The one who wants to lead has to do what? Serve. Be a slave. The one who wishes to be the greatest has to become what? The least. What's the way to glory? Humility. If you want to find yourself, you must lose yourself. This is part of why community is so important. This is the sanctifying effect. When we actually delight in other people, when we think about and focus on Christ and other people, it actually makes us more us. I, this, I want to be clear about something. This is not a call to some sort of conformity that you have to give up your personal likes and dislikes, that we all have some sort of same Borg-like personality or something like that. It's not what this is saying. It's saying that if we seek ourselves by focusing on ourselves, we're going to lose ourselves. But if we forget ourselves and follow Jesus, it makes us our, it's how we become ourselves. But we hit a big problem here. It's that a ruin can't be improved. A ruin can't be improved. A few years ago, uh, a friend of mine and I, we got blessed to get to go see some ancient ruins. And we, we got to go see the city of Ephesus that you read about in the Bible. And um, it was amazing. I'll show you a picture of it right here. Can everybody see that? This is the, the marketplace, the Agora, and the theater. Actually, a few weeks ago when we were in Acts, this, these two places were talked about. You can see they're right next to each other. Now, you can see this is some city. Can you improve it? Is this, this improvable? A little dust? Dust it? Put some posters on the wall? Uh, you know, fresh coat of paint? It's all ship-shape, right? No, why can't you improve that? Because it's a ruin. What does it need? It needs restoration, not improvement. We are a glorious ruin. You and me. That's a glorious ruin too. Right? You look at the ancient city of Ephesus and you could see it really is something. But it's not what it was meant to be. It's a ruin of what it was meant to be. We need restoration. Look, you and I 
live in a broken world and we're part of the broken world. Each and every one of us is broken. We're like that ruin. People have sinned against us. We've been raised in corrupt systems and we've contributed to those systems. How could we possibly think about becoming our best selves unless we deal with the fact that we're a ruin? How do we get restoration? It's to forget ourselves and follow Jesus because Jesus restores our true selves. Look at the next couple verses here. In verse 26, it says, Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Right? So he's, he's encouraging them to stand strong. Hey, I'm going to the cross. Y'all going to follow me. Stand strong. But he's also pointing them to the future. What's he doing? He says he's the Son of Man. If we were ancient Jews, we'd get what that was. Let me explain. The Son of Man is a figure from the book of Daniel in chapter 7. And the Son of Man shows up, and he actually receives worship, so he's God in some sense. And he makes all things right. He restores. Jesus takes this title, Son of Man, to himself and says he's coming back to restore. Right, so this is kind of funny. Son of God refers to the king of Israel. That's a human title. Son of man is a divine title that Jesus takes to himself. Okay, what does Jesus tell us when he returns? What's he going to do? Well, he, he does what? He says the son of man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. He restores glory. What's glory? I don't even know. You know why? No one's seen a human being that's glorious. This is something that is lost to us. This is something that we need restored. He also restores fellowship with God. Now, in this life, we are not going to become 100% what we were meant to be. But the process of restoration begins. You and I were meant to possess glory. C.S. Lewis says in his essay, Weight of Glory, he says this, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. We were meant to possess glory. And that's, Jesus is saying that is what he comes to restore. This idea is all over the New Testament. In, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, I believe, it says that, that what we will be, we don't even know. But when Jesus appears, we'll be like that. So whatever glory Jesus has, we possess too. And he restores fellowship with God. This is key. Relationships are a huge part of who we are. Just a little thought experiment right now. Explain to someone who you are, and you may not refer to anyone else. Try that sometime. I, if I have to do that, I'm like, I can't talk about my wife, can't talk about my mom, can't talk about my kids, can't talk about being a pastor of a church. That's a relationship. Relationships are a huge part of who we are. And, and think about that. The more, the more integral the relationship, a, a, a close relationship, if you lose that person, in some way. What happens to you? You're ruptured, aren't you? 
there's a ruined part of you there. You, like there, the, the, the grief, the pain that comes from that is because you've lost that relationship. Following? What if that relationship is with your creator? None of us have experienced, even the most Pentecostal among us, have not experienced the fellowship with God that human beings were supposed to have on a daily basis before the fall. Like, what does that even look like? What would it be like to be truly in, in right relationship, in pre-fall relationship with our Creator? How would that transform you and me? What does it even look like? I don't even know. But if you want to find out, we need to forget ourselves and follow Jesus. Because Jesus restores. Uh, that, that's how we're restored. So Jesus is his true self. It's how we become our true selves and how our self is restored. We need to forget ourselves and follow Jesus. My, uh, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis twice here. I, have a, I actually have a subscription. I'm allowed to quote him as much as I want. My favorite book by C.S. Lewis is, is called That Hideous Strength. It's the, the end of the space trilogy. It's a very complicated book, so I'm not really going to try and explain everything about it. But basically, there are some people who are trying to make a superhuman. And what they're actually doing is they're assaulting true humanity. And there's this, this one house where the remnant of true humanity is like fighting from. And they're very ordinary sorts of people. And, and so at a certain part in the book, they're having like a, a victory party. I'm not giving anything away here. But the, uh, the women who, who are part of this group, they're, they're told to go get dressed for like a, a, a feast. And they go to this room, and in this room, there's all these gowns on the wall. But there was, these were very special gowns, right? They, they came to them not from earth. And these gowns don't conceal, but reveal who they truly were. So when they would put on the clothes, these clothes would actually right, make them who they were. And so they started with, uh, with this woman named Ivy Mag. She's a, a working class lady, and they, they, found, they found the dress meant for her. And when they put the dress on her, they all stepped back in amazement and because she was still her, but somehow th this dress, this gown, brought out who she truly was. And then, and then it comes to uh, Mother Dimble, who was the, the leader of this group, and, and they, they find her gown, and she said, oh, just give me something quiet. I'm an old woman, and I don't want to look silly. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll just quote Lewis now. <laughs> says, it was of a flame color, fur around the brooch, long sleeves, and a many-cornered cap. They had no sooner clasped the robe than all were astonished. For now this rural wife of a rather obscure scholar, this respectable and barren woman with gray hair and a double chin stood before them, an old tribal matriarch, mother of mothers, grave, formidable, and august. Right? And they, they all put on their gowns, and they're all astounded to see who each other truly are. And then they say, one of them says, oh, I wish there was a, a, a mirror so I could see myself. And they say, oh, they forgot to put in a mirror. And the, the leader says, no, they didn't. You see, the idea is that they would, not, uh, they would not look at themselves to become themselves, but, they, but that they look to each other to become themselves, right? That's the idea. We will never become who we were meant to be 
by obsessing on ourselves. Instead, we need to forget ourselves and follow Jesus. Please pray with me. Father God, I pray that you would...